Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Welcome to Midweek in the Word. Thanks for joining us for another week. Um, As always, I'm Pastor Brad, and this afternoon, this beautiful afternoon, I am joined by Pastor Tom, our preaching pastor. Tom, thanks for joining us for another week. Thank you. Um, I just want to jump right into it this week um, and and get back to our sermon series, The Route 66, Snapshots from Genesis to Revelation. After a brief hiccup, obviously, a couple weeks ago, we are back to rolling on this thing again. And and this last Sunday, hopefully most of our listeners had the opportunity to listen, watch your sermon on Rahab from Joshua 2 and 6 on Sunday. Uh, So from the story of of Rahab, uh, that is, uh, what did we learn about God on Sunday? Well, I think the the biggest is that he is a redeeming God. He is uh, he is unlimited in his loving kindness and his mm-hmm. grace. Uh, Rahab is just one of those amazing stories that, mm-hmm. in the midst of a of a conquering. A devastation kind of narrative, suddenly there's a story of mercy. Mm-hmm. And the most unsavable sinner of all is, is she, she leaves her own people behind and she becomes part of the people of God. I think that's the the beauty of that picture. Yeah, I really particularly appreciated your your concept as far as when you started out saying she she was the last person you would think. She had three strikes against her, as yeah. it were, um, yeah. just starting out, which we can sympathize so much with yeah. as, as individuals, uh, which kind of brings us into the second question as far as uh, what did this story reveal about us, about mankind? Well, I think that the harsh reality is, is that if we're honestly looking at the scriptures as a mirror of our own soul, is that we had to conclude that we are Rahab as well. We were as unsavable as she. We like to categorize our sins and list them out. But uh, the wonderful thing is that uh, 1 Corinthians 6, he says, and such were some of you. There is a past tense to that Mm -hmm. because of his redeeming grace. So we learned that we need a Savior no matter how good we think we have become and manage our lives. We need someone to save us, just like she needed someone. Amen. It makes you think of Ephesians 2, where we were, were yeah. dead and, you know, in sin, and, and Christ, praise God, yeah. saved us out of that, and similar to Rahab and her story. And then finally, uh, how did the story of Rahab um, point us to Christ and the gospel? Well, the, the, the clearest is that it picks up that scarlet thread that ties the scriptures together mm-hmm. from the sacrifice of those animals in the garden to cover the sinful couple. And the other end of it goes not only to the cross where Jesus sheds his blood for us, but it goes all the way into the book of Revelation where we worship the lamb that was slain. Mm-hmm. So I think that the scarlet thread that hung out the window of uh, Rahab leads us very much like the blood applied to the door frames of the homes in Egypt. It leads us forward to the cross. Mm. And that both being a figurative line and then the literal human yes. descendancy yep. that we see in Rahab's genealogy ultimately being in the, in the line of Christ. That uh, was probably the, the biggest aha for so many people that surprised mm. me is how many people did not realize that Rahab, the former prostitute, was the mother of Boaz, who took the Moabitist widow as his wife and became the grandmother of King David. And uh, most people were quite shocked by that line of uh, genealogy. Quite the ancestry. Obviously, we're, we'll look forward to getting to both the story of Ruth and the story of David down the road in our Route 66 service or sermon series. But uh, 
Yeah, follow that thread. It was it was a highlight for me for sure. Uh, coming away from Sunday, um, however, on Sunday we also uh, ran into something um, that is is somewhat confrontational, maybe a little bit challenging for many of us because we ran into the subject um, in Joshua six fifteen through twenty one, where we find a whole city Jericho being quote devoted to the Lord for destruction, and in, in verse twenty one it details out that that means both men and women, young and old, oxen sheep and donkeys. And we recoil so quickly at this concept, thinking, how could God command the Israelites to such a thing? Um, But as always in in this podcast, we want to take some time and we want to focus on correct interpretation and understanding of the Bible. And so I think this concept, though it's challenging to us and we struggle a bit when we run into it, Um, is helped and illuminated by a correct understanding both of interpretation of the passage and also biblical theology, which we explored a few weeks ago, um, what that overall narrative of Scripture is teaching us. So my hope is by applying some of those principles, we'll be able to bring a little bit of clarity, maybe not totally resolve this issue in people's minds, but bring a little bit of clarity to that subject. So this week, I want to dig into this theme of holy war in Scripture, Tom. So so let's set the table here a bit. Uh, what is going on in the passage of Joshua 6 that we find that quote from? Well, we have, we have the fulfillment of the prophecy of Genesis 15, where God said to Abraham that your descendants will be as the stars of the heaven, the sand of the seashore. But for 400 years, they will be hostages or captives, as it were, in Egypt because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Mm. So we have to have that backdrop that there is a 400-year period of grace extended mm. before God brings his people into the land and removes the sinful Canaanites that are there. That, that paints the background. The second portion is, is that uh, Rahab herself said that 40 years ago when we heard about the parting of the waters of the Red huh. Sea, uh, our hearts melted within us. Every man mm. lost his courage. So there's another four decades of grace poured out. So we have to understand that whatever God is doing here, it is at least built on the foundation of extended periods of grace. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have the problem of, of course, that God is holy, so it lays that foundation. We've, we've seen the holiness of God over and over and over coming through, but it's against that backdrop of understanding God's character that we understand why these people live under a death penalty. Mm. So God has been patient and patient and patient yeah. with the people in, in inhabiting the land of Canaan. Obviously, as we as we research what's going on, the you know the the child sacrifice, the idolatry, the yeah. the rituals, the paganism, you know, as you as you begin to explore that culturally more and more, you realize how depraved this culture truly was. But God had been patient, is what you're saying. He'd been yeah. patient and patient and patient with his people, yeah. but ultimately fulfilled a prophecy um, that he had he had said before in Genesis. Yeah, and and, and to understand that every human being that is born is born under a death sentence. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that just—we don't really get that articulated until you get to Romans 3 with that blunt statement that there is none righteous, not Mm -hmm. even one. All have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. So it's leading to that conclusion that Paul will draw. But coming along the way, we see that because man sinned, he dies— some die of what we would call natural causes. 
Other die as a result of plagues. God did that to his own people in Israel when they rebelled against him. Mm. You know, Aaron had to take the censer, run out, risk his own life to stand between the people and the plague yeah. in, in order because so God is judging sin and sinful people. So that lays the, I think, the big picture foundation for what's happening in chapter 6. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, and then obviously this the story of Jericho, this isn't an isolated incident. It's not a one-and-done sort of situation that we just have to deal with in one place in Scripture because um, we find this in other places in the book, don't we? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I's going to be totally annihilated. The Gibeonites are going to outsmart them and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, use, use the trick of Jacob and deceive them into thinking yeah. that they've come a long ways to be their slaves. Yeah, the five kings that rise up against them, they are all, not only are their people all annihilated, but so are the kings, uh, very publicly, by the way. So the moving in of God's people into a polluted land requires the removal of those individuals that have polluted it, mm. and it will continue for 25 years, basically. Mm. Yeah, and so so let's let's zoom out even a little bit farther. We're, we're talking about the book of Joshua, and you've already kind of alluded to this with, with Genesis and the prophecy that's been made ahead of time, but do we see this sort of action taking place anywhere else in Scripture that might help us understand what's going on in Joshua? Well, it, it, there are there are many uh, wars that are waged for such purposes, and uh, even even in the life of David, there is a constant battle with the Philistines mm-hmm. and other enemies. I'm working on the Book of Judges right now, and those remnant uh, <laughs> uh, Amorites and all that were left in the land, they rise up and they are used by God to bring discipline to His people time and again. Mm-hmm. But I think that the big illustration of God's judgment against sin is clear back in Genesis 6 when he says, you know, my spirit will not dwell with men forever. And got 120 years. And then he literally wipes out humanity except Mm. for Noah and his family. So we've already seen an example of how God, a holy God, must in his righteousness deal with sinful man. And when man won't repent, he must be removed. And uh, so, yeah, I think it, it sets all the way back in Genesis 6 and rolls forward. So is it fair to say that maybe maybe some of what kind of recoils in us as we as we hear of this taking place and as we struggle with how could God do this is is maybe we have a somewhat diminished view of what God's holiness really is all about. Yeah, I, I think it really does come down to that fact that, that we have made a God in our own likeness, mm-hmm. in our own image, and that we want God to be a grandfather. Uh, we want him to be Santa Claus. Uh, mm. We we want him. We want him to be Daddy, Daddy, the Abba, Abba, Father. But we don't want to stop and recognize him for who he is. And so I, I think yes, having lost our sense of awe and reverence and our our clarity as to the un, what does unstained holiness look mm. like? I mean, Moses said, you know, I want to I want to see your glory, and he says, yeah, but you can't see my face. Mm. I mean, even yeah. just that sense of God is so much more than we are, uh, makes us then judge God's actions on the basis of what we think is fair and right. And he, he acts on the basis of what is just and righteous. Yeah. 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 We get to define what love is rather than yeah. allowing God to be the definition yeah. of love. <laughs> That's helpful. Um, so let's go back to the text a bit here then. Are, are there any other places in Scripture that we can go to that kind of help us explain what's going on in Joshua chapter 6? 
Well, obviously the one that we skimmed over in Deuteronomy helps a little bit. Uh, Deuteronomy 20, when you go out to war against your enemies and you see horses, chariots, and army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. And he says that over and over in verse 3, do not fear or panic or be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Uh, he, he said it again over in 13, and when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, and again down in verse uh, 14, you shall enjoy the spoils of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you, <laughs> verse 16, in the cities of these people that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. Uh, so over and over again, he just reminds them that this is this is God's war. This isn't your mm. war. This is, this is not something that you yourself have been agitated, irritated, become, uh, what is it, covetous, mm. and you want what they have, and therefore you go to take it. This is God at work. You are, you are simply the servants, the instruments of God to bring about a purification. Mm. Yeah. God's addressing the sin, the the issue, and he's just using the people to do it. And you, you highlighted it well last week when we talked about, you know, the hailstones hitting only yeah. the people. Yeah. You know, I mean, clearly God is fighting this war. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not because the Israrites are so powerful that and this is taking that, place. And after that, stopping the sun for a whole day. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So some of those kind of frame up this idea of holy war and, and put it opposed to, you know, any nation throughout time kind of doing their own thing or engaged in battle. It's not as if God is just endorsing the Israelites in their own personal campaign against the Canaanites. God is saying, I have chosen to bring judgment on these people, and you are the instrument for that judgment. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I I think it goes back to another principle I've been working on for this week, even in the story of Deborah. But it's back to that truth again that that we do not call God alongside us Hmm. to fight with us in our battles. God calls us to his side to fight for him. Yeah. And so even these wars are, are God's people being summoned by God to his army, led by his commander, in order to conquer or to, to fight his battle for mm-hmm. his purposes. And um, like I said uh, in the text message, uh, having visited genocide sites in Rwanda, uh, it, you do immediately become a little bit uh, unsettled yeah. thinking of this as a genocide as opposed to a righteous purification of God pouring out righteous judgment on wicked, sinful, rebellious people. Mm. Uh, well, which, and I, for my own part, I think it's even helpful, you know, you're talking Deuteronomy kind of leading into Joshua. Uh, you haven't gotten there yet in your Route 66 sermon series, but I find it helpful to go forward, too, yeah. and realize it's not just as if God favors one ethnic people. When his people rebel against him, they get very similar treatment when he brings in foreign powers to judge them as well. Yeah, you, when you start to read the Book of the Kings and yeah. all of those conflicts and wars and uh, they rebel against him, I mean, there's there's 400 years of it in the Book of Judges, but then you get into the King's era, and again, it's it's God's compassionate care yeah. that calls out that kind of discipline and correction. But uh, yeah, like I said, you know, I, I'm always intrigued by Jeremiah's. He uh, rises, the horizon looks back on the burning city behind mm-hmm. him. He says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. And right then when God's own holy city has just been devastated, not a stone left on top of another in the temple, and yet to realize that was the compassionate care of God Mm -hmm. to drive out the wickedness that had 
become so much a part of his people. Mm. So, uh, yeah, he's indiscriminating in his holiness. He doesn't favor one over the other. Sin is sin and has to be addressed. Yeah, but ultimately his glory is what he's most zealous for. Um, But, you know, like some would use this passage to to argue that actions like this are inconsistent with the, quote, God of love we see in the New Testament. You know, more with the touchy-feely Jesus, you know, up on a, in a picture and, you know, on the, on the wall kind of thing. In fact, uh, I ran into a quote from the, the, prof, or the prolific atheist Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion, and he, he, he uses a passage or a story like this to, to, quote, call God a bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser. Um, so that's kind of the, the vibe we get at times uh, from the world on this subject. How are we to respond against comments like that? Well, when I hear that, my mind goes immediately to John chapter 13, the night before Jesus went to the cross. Uh, it says that having loved them, he loved them to the end. So we know that what is about to take place is an act of love. Hmm. And by the time that night is over, he will have been arrested in the garden. He would have been tried on trumped up charges. They will have gotten bribery witnesses to convict him of saying he was going to destroy the temple. And before the sun went down on Friday, he would be hanging lifeless on a cross. That's the demonstration of the love of God. Having loved them, he loved them to that end. So we see this God of love and grace and kindness most clearly portrayed with his own son hanging lifeless on the cross. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what a... What a good reminder, you know, to think that that ultimately the wrath of God was most yeah. poured out on yeah. His own Son on our behalf. Um, so, so let me let me try to bring this forward a little bit then into into our context. How how would we understand a subject like this from Joshua six to be to be different from the common wars, whether whether it be our country or other countries are engaged in? Uh, you know, wars have been fought since the beginning of time. Will be <laughs> continue to be fought until Christ settles all of that once and for all. Um, how is this war different than modern wars? Well, first of all, the the people of Israel were not only the servants of a holy God, but they were to be a holy people. Mm. So it was it was God at work in His created world, and we have to be careful that we don't make any one nation of today a replacement for God's holy people, mm. and uh, so that we don't claim that God is on our side and therefore we're going to battle. Most of our wars have to do with jealousy and strife. He says in James, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts <laughs> among you? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's true on a, on a family basis, an individual basis, a church basis, and it's true on an international basis is mm. that it, it, it's a battle for power, human control. It is not a response to uh, there is iniquity and sin there, and therefore we are doing God's work of purification, but we're actually fighting selfishly for self-gain. And uh, it, it, those are not the same wars. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that's, that's the first thing. And, and the other is the genocidal wars. Again, it's just a racial discrimination that God likes us best. And, uh, and the fact is that uh, even, even Israel has, as we said, gone through really hard times, and yet they're the chosen people of God. 
So uh, we, we can't just write off any conflict we have and say, we're doing God's will, we're accomplishing God's purposes. Mm. There's no direct mandate. And he is not sending the commander of the host of heaven to lead <laughs> our armies into that conflict. Yeah, it's kind of, it kind of harkens us back to what you said as far as who's coming alongside who. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. one of the biggest things that people tend to go back to would be the Crusades as a misuse yeah. of this idea. We have a political agenda. We're going to say God is on our side. Yeah. And, and you get this mass... Yeah. issue, you know, throughout history and wars after war after war. Um, la- lastly, how, how does a correct observation and interpretation, you know, talk about coma, that's, that's the method we've, we've addressed in the past here. How does, how does a correct observation and interpretation of this text and then the whole message of Scripture help illuminate this conclusion that we've been talking about? Well, the, the right interpretation of it puts it into its context, yeah. and so it forces us to take a bigger view so again, we have to look at the revelations, God, God's self-revelation of himself as holy and his hatred and his required because he is righteous, that he must judge sin. And we have to trace that down through the scripture. And we realize that he's consistent all the way through. And like I said, all of this leads us to the cross of Jesus and really sets us up for Easter celebration next mm-hmm. week, that, that God is in this declaring to us the horrible cost of sin. And it makes you it makes you cry out and say, will there ever be an end to these wars? Will there ever be a time when no one needs to die because of their sin? And it, it, it gives us that hope that there will be one who will ultimately die so that nobody has to die again. Yeah, it's a good reminder. So, so if I can attempt to, to summarize some of what we've talked about here then, you know, we, we maybe tend to, to recoil or, or struggle a little bit this because because we need to understand or adopt God's view of his holiness, yeah. you know, God's absolute sinlessness and, and his appropriate just anger against sin, against anything that responds incorrectly yeah. toward God, you know, and then, you know, with that view in mind, understanding that this war, which we tend to think of as being fairly similar to the same wars that go on today, is a whole different paradigm. Yeah. It's a different situation that's taking place for a different reason at a different time. Um, so there's not a one-to-one. We yeah. can't compare yeah. the two equally. Uh, any other final thoughts on this subject, Tom, uh, as we kind of wrap up on this subject? Well, I, I wanted to highlight these points made in one of the articles that we shared. As, as a first, God fights the flesh and blood enemies of Israel. Second, God fights Israel when they disobeyed his command. Third, the Bible prophesies that God will come in the future as a warrior. Fourth, Jesus Christ fights the spiritual powers and authorities. And fifth, I love this wrap-up, the fifth phase is the final battle in which Jesus will come again as a warrior and a king, and ultimately as the ultimate victor. Mm, it's a good reminder for us as we look through that story, and we're going to hit on those next few points over the over the coming weeks in your Route yeah. 66 series. Yeah. So we'll look forward to tying together some of that. Uh, speaking of looking forward and and where we're going, let's let's take the exit ramp on this week's episode. And this next Sunday, uh, you're <laughs> preaching tomorrow night, but the <laughs> the body will get it this weekend. Uh, the story of Deborah as we get into the book of Judges. So, what are you looking forward to preaching on about Deborah this week? Well, this, the story of Deborah is one of those. Um, those classic illustrations of how God loves his own people enough to correct and discipline them. And it also is, a, is an ongoing story of how even the failure of his servants do not frustrate the promises and plans of God. So we see that uh, in, in, in the, 
Deborah case, spoiler alert, in the Deborah case, uh, male leadership was emulating Genesis chapter 3 and standing by and listening when they should step forward and lead. But God raised up a woman, and he spoke through her, and he gave her courage, and it was an incredible victory that takes place at the hand of just a casual observer, another woman. So that, that's kind of a, a, a fun story when people expect an evangelical feminism message or something like mm-hmm. that. To read it in its context is quite illuminating. Yeah, very helpful. Uh, any interpretive questions? Uh, you, I guess you're kind of alluding to, you know, this has been a misinterpreted story in the past. Yeah, yeah. What are you wrestling with on it? Well, I, I to be honest, uh, yesterday my frustration level was pretty high as I've read, read, and reread. And I had three Bibles in front of me that I have all marked up, <laughs> and I got ready to mark up my fresh one. And suddenly I was reproved by the fact that I had gotten so distracted by the different characters highlighted in the narrative that I had failed to step back and look at the ultimate hero of the whole story. Mm. And uh, so what I'm grappling with is how is God and what is God revealing about himself progressively here in Mm. this story? It's not a story about Deborah and Barak, and it's not a story about a wife whose husband moved her a long ways from her family and had this strange warrior come into her living room and she kills him. It's a story about God. So, Mm. yeah, Yeah, that's where I'm grappling. And I, you know, all the judges paint that picture of what is God doing with His people through the Book of Judges. Yeah. Uh, we'll look forward to hearing a little bit more on that subject from you on Sunday, Tom. Uh, finally, how can we prepare our hearts for for that message and for what God has to say through that story? Well, I, I think the times we're in, uh, death is consistently daily before us right now, and these these are some hard times. But to prepare our own hearts, we, we need to look and go, you know, in, in the book of Judges, sometimes God would allow oppression for eight years, 18 years, 20 years, sometimes mm-hmm. longer. But the hard times were always times when God was calling his people to himself. Mm-hmm. So I think we prepare ourselves to say, you know, I don't know if I can fully understand or identify with this season in the life of Deborah. But I would say in the times we're going through with the COVID-19 and the uncertainty of tomorrow that God is calling us to himself. And uh, so whether it's a direct discipline of the Lord or whether it's just simply something that God is going to use to discipline some of us individually to bring us back to him, that, that we would prepare our hearts to let him speak to us through that. Mm. Yeah, God's ultimate goal of our holiness, not yeah. simply our happiness. Yeah. Uh, I'd encourage you to reread James chapter 1 if you've been wrestling with some of that. I know that's been an encouragement to, for me as I've tried to frame uh, this time period, which yeah. is uh, anxious and frustrating, and uh, we're not quite sure what to do with, yeah. but God is still in control uh, through that season. Well, we'll be looking forward to that, uh, to hearing a little bit more about Deborah, um, but specifically how that relates uh, to today as well on Sunday, Tom. Um, and for listeners, thanks again for joining us for another podcast. We we do hope it was helpful. We realize we're just scratching the surface of this subject. We'd encourage you to do uh, more reading, study on the subject, and feel free to shoot us in questions you have on that subject, and we can kind of come back to it at a later date. Um, but do remember, as you head into this weekend uh, and the message 
message that if you're following along in the weekly reading, uh, the story of Deborah and Barak is is in Judges 4 and 5. And so if you have time to read those two chapters and get ready for Tom's sermon on Sunday, we would encourage you to do that. I'd also encourage you, if you're interested a little bit more in the article that Tom was referencing, it's an article from the Gospel Coalition by Trevin Wax entitled Other Ways of Dealing with the Canaanite Conquest. And he's actually quoting uh, from a from a book called Show Them No Mercy by Tremper Longman. Um, but check out that article if you're a little bit more interested in those, those different points that Tom made. He lays it out pretty well in that article. Um, and then, like I said, uh, we'd love to hear additional questions. If you have concerns on how do we address the current situation with COVID-19 or, or a different interpretive questions, uh, please shoot either myself or Tom an email. We'd love to allow this to be interactive. We'd love to hear from you and address the things you're wrestling with. Um, so feel free to shoot us an email. And then lastly, know that uh, as you're listening to this in your homes and in your cars, we are praying for you. Uh, the elders and the pastors are praying for you, hoping uh, that, you, that you grow through this time, uh, that you're in encourage that you lean into your relationship with Christ in this difficult season. And we do hope you join us again next week as we'll be debriefing a little bit on the story of Deborah on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth.